The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb left for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. God, thank you for this story. where you remind us that those who have heard and rely and believe your word are blessed. So help us to do that now as we listen to the story, as we dive a little deeper into it. Help us to see what it really means for us in our lives. Help us to believe it and help us to apply it well to what you have in front of us even right now, even today, this week in our actual lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, good morning once again, City Church. Um, like I've said, we've celebrated already in the first part of this service. This is a second week of Advent. We're about three weeks from Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And we're taking this important time in the life of the church to trace the steps of the life of Mary as she finds out that she's going to play an amazing role, a role I'm sure she never expected in bringing about the renewal of the world. And I want to do the best job that I can um, at helping us to enter Mary's story with the kind of obvious limitations um, that I've never been pregnant, um, and uh, I have kids, but never been pregnant. Um, but I want to do the best job I can because Mary is a prophet, she's a saint, um, but even more, she's an archetype of sorts. I mean, she's the one alongside Jesus who truly teaches us what it is to be truly and fully human. And even more than that, she is kind of like the ultimate mother, um, not just physically, but spiritually as well. So I want to do, I want us to really be able to enter that story as much as we can. And our story picks up today. We, we started part of this last week, we'll continue it next week. But our story picks up today where Mary has just been told by an angel that she's going to miraculously conceive and carry a baby who will be called the son of the most high God. And that's like a lot to place on somebody. But she says yes. And she has faith in the word of God to say yes, despite all the uncertainty, even the trauma that that will unleash into her life. But in that encounter with the angel, the angel also tells her that her cousin Elizabeth who was quite old, like beyond the typical childbearing years, Elizabeth had also miraculously conceived. 
and was going to carry and bear a son who became, ended up becoming John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, who was this rough and tumble prophet and preacher who overturned power structures and in the process got himself in deep trouble, paid for it with his life. But for a while, John was actually more famous than Jesus for quite a while. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, John for a little while was still more famous than Jesus. So John is a major character. Elizabeth is giving birth to this other major, major person. So we have the story here, fascinating story of two women with two miraculous pregnancies um, who are going to raise two boys that are going to both change the world. But this is the story, this thing called the visitation, where they meet. This is where their stories meet. And I want to start with a poem to help set the scene, because John O'Donohue, who many of you follow and have been blessed by, I've been certainly blessed by John's work um, over my life. He's been gone. He was taken from this world far too early, about 14 years ago. Um, but even in his death, he speaks to me like regularly through his work and has really impacted my faith, as I know he has for many of you. But he has a poem on this exact scene called The, the Visitation. It's not a very long poem, but I want to start with that to help set the scene. John says, in the morning, in the morning it takes the mind a while to find the world again. In the morning it takes the mind a while to find the world again. Lost after dream has taken the heart to the underworld to play with the shades of lives not chosen. She awakens, a stranger in her own life, her breath loud in the room full of listening, taken without touch, her flesh feels the grief of belonging to what cannot be seen. Soon she can no longer bear to be alone. At dusk she takes the road into the hills. An anxious moon doubles her among the stones. A door opens, the older one's eyes fill. Two women, locked in a story of birth. Each mirrors the secret the other heard. I love this poem as a starting point to our passage because it attempts to capture Mary's state of heart, Mary's state of mind, Elizabeth's as well, all the thoughts that Mary would be carrying as she travels to see Elizabeth. And we need to understand that Elizabeth is, is it's not an easy journey to get to her. We're not exactly sure which village Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah lived in, but it was at least 80 miles into the hills outside of Jerusalem, maybe 100 miles. And Mary makes this journey on foot, possibly alone, on foot for sure. She has plenty of time to think and process the heavy things that she's been confronted with. And you know, our passage today in the very first line is said that Mary set out with haste, with haste to go see Elizabeth. And you know, I think of that word typically as meaning she's like moving as fast as she can. She's moving quickly, physically. But that might not be the best translation. Um, from the Greek for that word. And it's important to sort of set the tone for what I think is really going on in this passage. So I want to dive into that just a bit. Because two scholars I follow who have this amazing, like my favorite right now, uh, commentary on the book of Luke, Barbara Reed and Shelley Matthews, they've pointed out that um, the expression that is translated haste, we're going to put this on the board, the, the screen, it's not a board. Okay, the expression metaspudes, which is translated here with haste, However, in classical Greek, denotes an inner condition of the soul. 
all right? An inner condition of the soul, a dynamic process of mind rather than a physical sense of rapid movement. The translation in a serious mood of mind captures better the sense of metaspudes. So Mary sets out on this 80-mile journey, not necessarily with great speed, although I'm sure she was eager to get to Elizabeth, but with a serious, contemplative, maybe anxious mood of mind, carrying great anticipation, great hope, but also heaviness, questions, like all of it, because she knows her life has been changed forever. And like I've said, I want us to experience Mary's state as much as we can, as closely as we can. But obviously, there's your, your preacher this morning is a dude, and it's hard for me to fully enter that from life experience. But my wife, Kristen, uh, this week, having no idea, like seriously no idea what the sermon was going to be about, what our text was about, she reminded me of a project that she participated in seven years ago, like exactly seven years ago, this exact time of year, when she was very pregnant with our daughter, Matilda. So we're actually going to do something a little different, slight risk here, but I feel like it's worth it. We're going to watch a video of this project, and I'm going to follow it up with a few more words by John O'Donohue. This is called Gratia, and it's set to um, San Francisco's um, Chanticleer's uh, Ave Maria. So let's watch this for a few minutes.
nothing, nothing could have prepared your heart to open like this. From beyond the skies and stars, this echo arrived inside you and started to pulse with life. Each beat, a tiny act of growth, traversing all our ancient shapes on, a, on its way home to itself. Once it began, you were no longer your own, a new, more courageous you offering itself in a new way to a presence you can sense but you have not seen or known. It has made you feel alone in a way you will, you've never known before. Everyone else sees only from the outside what you feel and feed with every fiber of your being. Never have you traveled farther inward where words and thoughts become half-light, unable to reach the fund of brightness strengthening inside the night of your womb. Like some primeval moon, your soul brightens the tides of essence that flow to your child. You know your life has changed forever. So there's Mary on that road, on that 80-mile journey, carrying not only a baby, but a story, a story that's too great to believe, and she's alone in a way that nobody ever has been alone before. Nobody has ever been or will be in her exact position before, and she needs to see her cousin. She needs to see her cousin Elizabeth, the one person who might just understand a bit of what she's going through. But you know, on that journey, she can't be certain how her news will be received. She doesn't know exactly how Elizabeth or her priest husband, Zechariah, will react. Like, will they ease her burden? Or are they going to add to it? I mean, will they even believe her? Will they judge her? And I think it's important here to note that Mary, in this situation, on that journey, she is by far the weaker power. She's the weaker party in this arrangement. I mean, Elizabeth is older. Elizabeth is from a priestly lineage herself. Elizabeth's married. All these things that Mary is not. Elizabeth's married. Elizabeth is married to a priest. And Mary doesn't have any of these things. She's a teenager, a pregnant, no special lineage, kind of a nobody. She really doesn't know what's going to happen next. So imagine that tension that builds as she reaches the house and approaches the door and calls out. And you, you might then, and I wonder if she thought, is Zechariah going to be the one who comes out first? But really interestingly, Zechariah, in an earlier story, has been kind of benched by God for this scene. Zechariah didn't react great when God told him of the miracle that was going to happen in his life, in Elizabeth's life. And so temporarily, Zechariah is silenced. He can't speak. So what that means, what that sets up, is this amazing encounter that can happen between two women and two unborn children, two unborn babies. As soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, it's like this electric surge comes through her. First through the baby John, he jumps in her womb at the sound of Mary's voice. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's flooded with a sense that something truly unusual and miraculous is in her midst. And then she launches into this impromptu poem of praise and blessing, starting with, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth here is actually the first human being 
to announce Mary's pregnancy. In the whole story, she's the first human being to announce Mary's pregnancy, and Mary didn't even have to say a word. And can you imagine how reassuring that must have been to Mary in that moment? I mean, it's like instant confirmation that she didn't just imagine this whole thing or that she's not going crazy. Like she's not completely alone in this wild journey that God's asked her to take. Elizabeth goes on. She next says, and why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. So Elizabeth not only announces Mary's pregnancy, but she discerns that Mary and Mary's child are actually playing a part in a story that is greater than anything she could have imagined. And that Mary was actually the mother of her Lord. Mary the lesser was actually Elizabeth's superior. And Jesus would in fact be even greater than her own son John. And here we see this thing that keeps happening in the Bible. It's this continuation of the pattern of reversal of power structures that so often arise whenever God is up to something new. It just seems like in the Bible, Old Testament, we cover this quite a bit in the stories of the women of the Old Testament that we did over the fall, that when God is up to something new, something big, there's often a distinct reversal of power structures. And in our story, it first impacts Zechariah, who kind of represents the patriarchal priestly power, but then Elizabeth. But the cool thing here about Elizabeth is she has the discernment and the wisdom to see this on the spot and to embrace it. She's just thrilled. She's just blown away that she gets to be standing in Mary's presence. Why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. Then Elizabeth says, and blessed is she. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This final blessing, it's not just on account of Mary's chosenness, which is sort of the focus of the first two. This blessing is given because Mary believed. This blessing is given on account of Mary's own actions, that Mary believed God's promise, even when God promised to do something that was literally too great to be naturally true. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. You know, this word believed, it's the same word in the Greek as our word for faith. Um, and it's not shallow confidence or blind confidence or even consistent confidence. Like I said, I believe Mary was carrying all kinds of questions into this meeting, into this moment of community. All kinds of doubts on that 80-mile journey. But she was also rooted in faith. She was rooted in a trust that God's word would become true. As Michael Gerson says, this is a quote on faith that I come back to often. He says, faith, thankfully, does not preclude doubt. Faith, thankfully, does not preclude doubt. It consists of staking your life on the rumor of grace. Faith consists of staking your life on the rumor of grace. And Mary had the faith to say yes to God, even when everything about the world would challenge that. She had the faith to make that journey to find her cousin Elizabeth, not knowing what the outcome of that encounter would be. And despite all the questions, despite the intense loneliness of being called out of having a regular life, Mary stakes her life on the rumor of God's grace. She believes there will be a fulfillment of God's too great to be true promises. So this final blessing is different because it's on the first, first part, it's given directly 
because of Mary's actions, but it's also different because there's a subtle shifting in the way Luke writes this part, where Elizabeth previously had been speaking in the second person directly to Mary, but here she shifts, speaks in the third person. So blessed is she who believed. And I don't want us to miss that because I do believe, obviously, Luke is intending, and Elizabeth in that moment, they are talking about this conversation happening with Mary, but they're also opening it up to apply to more than just Mary, that Elizabeth is also speaking to us. Blessed is she who believes. Blessed is he. Blessed are they. Blessed are all people. Blessed are we who believe the things God speaks to us and about us. Blessed are we when we can believe. when we can believe the things God has spoken about us, things like that you are deeply known and loved by the creator of the universe, that you're truly safe in that love, that your difference and your diversity is actually a gift to the world, that your failures can be redeemed, that your shortcomings, even your heartbreak, even your grief can provide a doorway through which you can connect to the world around you and even bless those around you. I mean, these are just like a few, just a couple of the deep promises God has for us in Scripture, for you and for me, but they're not, let's be honest, they're not always easy to believe. Faith is hard. I mean, we can be honest about that. It's hard, and the feeling of faith, like the joy of faith and the confidence of faith, um, those things come and go. And yes, in the darker moments, we always have that option to, as best we can, stake our faith, stake our life on the rumor of grace, like Michael Gerson says. But this is really what I think the point of this passage is. We also need the power of blessing, the power of other people's words of blessing in our life to help us connect to all those things. And that's what I think is going on at its core in this story this morning. Mary shows up in faith, but also carrying a weight that is too big for any one human being to carry alone. And so Elizabeth and her sort of preborn super baby John, they bless Mary and they confirm what God has said to her. And then this blessing, this is what's so cool about what comes next, not part of our passage today, but it's awesome. That blessing of Elizabeth then ignites and unlocks Mary's own song of praise, which comes next. It's called the Magnificat. We'll talk about it a bit next week. But Mary launches right after this into her own song of joy and praise and confidence, saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I believe that it is Elizabeth's blessing that unlocks all of this. That's what blessing can do. And we need that. We all need it in our lives. And it can be really simple, too. Like the act of blessing or the art of blessing can be really simple. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be full of religious language or poetic language or like special incantations or any of that. Because I think at the core, like if you really strip away what blessing is, blessing is simply reminding somebody, reminding somebody of the goodness and grace 
that surrounds them even when they can't see it. It's a belief that there is goodness and grace all around us, but that it sometimes falls out of view. It falls out of our field of vision. It gets a little invisible at times. But it can be really simple blessing. You know, for me, something I've been thinking about lately, I do a lot of walking around town. I'm sure many of you do too. And I've got this special growing sympathy for like the parents of the two-year-olds that are having the catastrophic meltdowns like in the middle of the streets, and you can usually hear this like from a block or two away, and then you're wondering what's going on, and you see this thing happening, and it is a total calamity, <laughs> and the poor expressions on the mom or the dad's faces, and, and you know, for me, I see a slight difference between the typical expressions, if it's a mom or if it's dad, because the moms, they like are still working this thing. They're still drawing from knowledge and deep resources, and they're stressed out, but they've got a kind of plan, and they're trying to get the kid back on track, whether or not the kid's having anything to do with it. The dads, not all dads, but a lot of them, they've just checked out. I mean, they're still there. They're so overwhelmed. They've kind of like just removed themselves into like a different plane of the multiverse, waiting for this thing to stop. And then they'll come back. I've seen that expression, maybe because I know it. I've, I've seen that on, on dad's faces. And I found myself recently kind of just giving that signal, that, that small word to parents in that situation. Of like, you're okay. Like, you got this. Really importantly, you're doing a really good job right now, which is what everybody needs to hear. Like, you're doing a really good job. This is going to pass. Because I remember the few times a stranger kind of did that for me. And I know my wife had more of those experiences where somebody would do that for her and how much that means. So the art of blessing, it can be that simple. I mean, really that simple. Just one word. Just one word that introduces a little bit of ease into somebody's day. But we need it so bad in our own lives and we need it to be able to give that to other people, to, to each other. So maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe a moment, maybe something more profound than the more simple example I just gave, but where you needed encouragement and somebody you trusted looked attentively at you and could see you in your situation and said, I see all this. I see the challenges you're facing, but I also see your gifts and I'm here to remind you of the divine possibilities and grace that surround you. I mean, just simple attention and simple words like this can unlock hidden resources, can change a person's day, can really change the trajectory of their life. So this story today, it's about Mary's moment of needed community in a very real way with her cousin, but it's also about the unique power of blessing that can happen in that community. And so for us, my prayer for us as city church, as people in this city, so we can cultivate that sense of being able to bless, even if it's just introducing one word of ease into somebody else's day. We need to cultivate that power, the skill, the attentiveness to bless each other well. I'm going to close with just a few more words from John O'Donohue, and yes, he definitely helped me write this sermon uh, this weekend, but... Um, there's just so much good stuff on this particular passage and blessing that he's done. So I'm going to close with this quote, and then we'll go into our prayer. But consider this. Our eyes cannot see this world. Our eyes cannot see this world. Our hearts 
are usually too encumbered to navigate it, our minds too darkened to decipher it. As the Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly. Yet it is exactly on this threshold between visible and invisible that our most creative conflicts and challenges come alive. Each new beginning, each new difficulty always finds us on that frontier. And this is exactly why we reach for blessing. In our confusion, fear, and uncertainty, we call upon the invisible structures of original kindness to come to our assistance and open pathways of possibility by refreshing and activating in us our invisible potential. When we bless, we work from a place of inner vision, clearer than our hearts, brighter than our minds. Blessing is the art of harvesting the wisdom of the invisible world from day to day it offers us new gifts. Let's pray. God, I thank you. We thank you for Mary, for her example of faith, for her willingness to embrace an overwhelming story, and for Elizabeth, for her faith and example of seeing what you were doing and giving blessing and encouragement. Build, build in us, I pray, that same ability to support each other on our faith journeys, to provide the attention, attention, and words of blessing at these critical moments in our lives. We pray for this even this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.